Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick, who are dedicated to helping manufacturers and distributors to enhance their competitive position and succeed in high-pressure trade environments. Visit them online at coneresnick.com. Meet the Manufacturers is available on all of the world's biggest podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Never miss an episode again and subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts from. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. Welcome along to the latest episode of Meet the Manufacturers. It is, I'm really excited about this one. I know I always say that at the beginning of our podcast, but this one I'm genuinely excited about because it could be something of interest to me. A uh, bit selfish, but hey, we're going to roll with it. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Jamie Lissette, the Chief Operations Officer, and Chris Callum, the Operations Director of the Athletic Brewing Company. Now, I'm not sure how much of an athlete I am, but I'm really, really excited to learn more about your range of non-alcoholic brews, basically. You are dedicated to making great tasting craft beers without compromise. You are a B Corp certified company with an operation in Stratford, Connecticut, another in Milford, Connecticut, and another operation in San Diego, California. They are the only non-alcoholic dedicated facilities in the world world that's pretty wow come on that is pretty wow when people say that out loud you must be you must be pretty pleased with yourself absolutely jamie chris let's find out about you first of all how on earth did you get on this crazy train and end up doing what you're doing chris you first please oh wow well i was in the uh the alcohol biz for a while i worked for a large craft brewery in san diego for five or six years and the facility i worked at is now our athletic san diego location at the time I essentially came with a building, which I'm pretty stoked about, if you ask me. Yeah, so I worked. I worked there for a while. Worked my way up through the ranks. Um, I started as a, you know, the bottom of the run, lonely old keg washer. Kind of worked my way around into production, into the cellaring side for learning beer, to brewing. I did that through the course of the six years, and I wound up into uh, operations management at Ballast Point at the time, and I was there, kind of doing efficiency operations, kind of named the gambit. And then along came John and Bill and Jamie one cold February day. I interviewed with them in a coffee shop. I think it was probably the coldest day in San Diego I think I've ever felt. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about what athletic was and where it was going and the location there. And, I mean, talking to those three was just kind of a, a no-brainer on my part to, to come along. So, Chris, are you now on the East Coast or are you still in San Diego? No, I recently just made the move to Connecticut here, uh, as in March, actually. So. You're going to experience far colder than that February interview day. <laughs> Brace yourself. Absolutely, I'm, I'm kind of excited. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I think weather is a, is a fun thing that we don't really get to experience in San Diego. I know that's kind of a a weird thing to say out loud, but 75 degrees year round kind of gets boring after a while. You know, you're not wrong. There's, it's always something happening on the East Coast, that's for sure. If we're not getting nor'easters, we're getting snow or beautiful sunshine like we are today. Jamie, then, tell me, how did this happen? How did you end up sat in that chair with those beautiful cans above your head? Tell me all about your journey. Well, thanks, first of all, for having us. I want to point out that it was uh, 
beautifully sunny that cold February morning in San Diego. <laughs> it, it was. It You're was. a wuss, I, Chris. You're a wuss. I, I remember sitting, making sure I was not in the shadows, and it was perfect out. Um, so, you know, so 75 and sunny doesn't sound too bad year round, but everybody wants what they don't have. So, um, to answer your question, so uh, I was actually in a completely different business for 17 years here in Connecticut. Um, I own my own business doing financial content and news that I ended up getting fortunately uh, able to sell it in 2018. And when I was done with my sort of garden leave time there, my layover time, I ended up talking to actually Dave Holmes, who had started a company called Spike Seltzer, and he was embarking on a new company. And I, I just heard him out about a project he was doing. In leaving, he said, but definitely check out Athletic Brewing if you're you know, looking for something new and exciting. And I looked them up. I, I did a little bit of research. I called another friend of mine and I said, have you ever heard of non-out beer like that actually tastes good? That's a wild idea. Like, um, <laughs> and he said to me in the same, you know, literally the same breath, you have to check out Athletic Brewing. And having been in sort of the financial markets, it's like any sort of, you know, obscure hint that comes to you twice from two different people, you're like, ooh, this must be a trend. And so I was able to come and meet up with Bill, who's the founder and came into the little facility and Stratford, Connecticut, and one thing led to another. Three years later, I guess there was like eight people that day on there, and we're we're up to about 215 now, three years later. So it's been a massive wow. run towards wherever we are right now. So That is absolutely and, and phenomenal growth. I will have to say, however, there was a big key factor of me wanting to leave my current, my older position, was I tried Freeway for the first time, and that was the first craft, non the first non-alcoholic beer I must have had in, 15 years and like other than in Iraq where it was like that's the one thing you could drink that reminded <laughs> you of home but that beer kind of changed the world for me it was it was something that you could see there was such promise in especially working in San Diego where it's like the mecca of IPA and you're like what is this I can drink this flavorful product this beer and not get drunk off it it was fantastic it was game changing in my eyes Sorry for, for completely derailing that conversation. Absolutely not. You know, having passion for your brand is everything, you know, and you really believe in your product. I think that comes through, you know, and we could all go and work in a, I don't know, a shop selling something that we don't really believe in, but it, when our heart's not in it. If your heart's in it, that's how you see the sort of growth that you're talking about, which is truly phenomenal. So how many non-alcoholic brews have you created in your tenure so far? I mean, how many, what's the repertoire? What's the turnaround of these handcrafted brews? Shoot, last year we did what, 52 different beers? One brews? a week. So we have an omni-channel distribution or sales strategy. So we can sell internet sales and we sell to retailers and obviously bars and restaurants go through our beer distributors as well as grocery. But because we have the internet, we can do a lot of variation in small quantities and you know do tucker's west coast ipa you know 500 cases put it on the internet for sale sell it out from a business standpoint it's a very nice strategy to get people to know the brand especially ahead of you being potentially in that market and also a nice basket ad if you're thinking about like dollars in someone's shopping cart before they check out they, they then can get some of our regular flagship beers and our seasonals and things like that and they can load up we also do subscriptions which is a nice way for you know somebody to not have to go pick up a case of beer at the supermarket and have it just land on their doorstep so no that's nice there's a nice couple of angles on that one so you've just opened this brand new facility in milford at the the grand ribbon cutting tell me about that facility what makes it special how big is it and what's its future look like 
Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No. It's a, it's a massive facility. I mean, just in the in the sense of a brewery of a craft size, it's a large footprint. I think it's a 180,000 square foot facility. The packaging line in itself occupies about 35,000 square feet of that. That's just with all the conveyance and filling val- machines and stackers and depalletizers. Our cellar and brewery is another 20,000 square feet of that. We're really pushing the boundaries already of a large facility with our manufacturing capacity of our of liquid. That's leaving another 40,000 to 50,000 square foot for dry goods storage and uh, like cans, essentially. You know, we have quite an inventory of raw materials on hand in the can format because we're a single format company. So we strictly can right now. Uh, we're working on other avenues for draft in the future. But right now it's, it's all canned. So we're going to be producing up to, I think, at our peak capacity of this facility up to about 400 to 450,000 barrels of beer. That's a tremendous amount of liquid in the beer industry in general, non-alcoholic aside. Yes. Um, that's going to put us in the, the top 10 for sure. You know, just for reference in a barrel language, I apologize. That's 31 gallons. So, you know. I'm a Brit. I don't know what a gallon is either. So, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but the listeners will know what you mean. I'm a litre. That's going to be 14 million gallons of beer, you know. Wow. <laughs> and it's it's well, I did the math, and it's, it's about six million cases of yeah, it's a lot. something to relate to. Goodness yeah. me, that is a huge, huge facility. Now you've done this essentially, this development of the of the business, if you like, into Milford during the middle of a global pandemic. I mean, that's no mean feat. Have you had any issues? You know, having to continue production. Have you had any issues throughout the pandemic or post pandemic? If it's over, that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then. you know, we are a manufacturing facility and we have felt some of the, the sting of it. Um, luckily, we've been able to pre-plan a lot of our manufacturing expansion. So we got, we, got, we did get lucky, we, you know, with buying all of our equipment. We we purchased it ahead of time. We had a lot of this, these conversations over, you know, the past year and a half and getting these things ready to go. Uh, I, I know Jamie and his team have had to navigate the procurement landscape with, with you know, aluminum and all these other crazy things going awry, but uh, we haven't had a major impact to our, of our manufacturing now, but it's just with cost, you know, there's freight costs that, that we're navigating. I mean, he also has to deal with that regularly. I mean, I don't know, Jamie, was freight's pretty much tripled over the past two years, you know, especially with a San Diego base location and an East Coast location. So we're transferring goods between the two. So yeah. Yeah, we've become a very big shipper because we're right currently until this one opened a week ago, we're making everything in San Diego and our original markets are back east. So imagine, you know, five to nine to wow. 10 uh, full truckloads of beer coming across the country every week, you know, with freight costs having they're more like doubled now at this point, um, but they were tripled at some point. We've been pretty lucky. I think staffing is always probably the biggest concern, and I think that we've been very lucky in that you mentioned the B Corp, you mentioned the the mission. We give two percent of our sales to trail and park cleanup, and and I think that people, you know, definitely can look at Athletic as a rising star versus maybe some other more regional, smaller players where you know your career ambitions may be sort of stifled, right? A small brewery. <laughs> You know, with a brew pub type thing, it, it doesn't it doesn't get you into a, a large corporation, which would become very quickly. Well, I mean, plus during the pandemic, I think we kind of flourished with our direct to consumer aspect. You know, we were able to produce and 
essentially mail our beer to the people who weren't able to make it to the store or go out. And, you know, we were able to capitalize on that and then even give back to our community based off those profits that we were able to make. You know, we missed that on the distribution aspect, but again, I think it just rallied when it came to our e-commerce platform. Absolutely, you're in a very strong position in that way. Before we go on to some of the incredibly good things that you're doing for the world and your local communities, which is exceptional, by the way, uh, we are gonna get there. Non-alcoholic beer, talk to me about how it first came about and how you've watched it evolve and how, you know, the, the passion for IPAs particularly here in the Northeast that I've, I've only ever lived here. Well, obviously I've lived other places because you don't sound like this in the Northeast. But when I arrived here, all I saw everywhere was IPA, brewery, brewery, brewery. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. This is, this is really, really special living in this area. Non-alcoholic beers. Now that's pricked my ears up. Now I'm interested because I, I don't drink a great deal. So tell me about non-alcoholic beer and its rise to, to stardom, I guess. I think, you know, the every generation drinks a little bit less, right? If you look at the stats on a millennial is uh, 14% don't drink alcohol at all. Um, if you go to a Gen Z, it's 22%. You know, I just turned in my 50s and I would argue it's in the high 90s, right? For whatever our generation was called. But I think that it's this, you know, people are much more cognizant of how they appear in social avenues. And so I think as you get younger, people are thinking more and more about like how they want to be seen. Whereas I think our generation, you know, didn't care. They didn't, didn't, didn't live everywhere. You know, <laughs> didn't live everywhere. One, one, one bad night didn't like you know live with you for the rest of your lifetime. That's thing. a really interesting observation. My, I was talking about this the other day. I was like, if they'd had Facebook and Insta when I was, I'd be in jail. I don't know about having had a bad reputation. I'd be in jail. So I get what you're saying. And I do think that our younger generations are more savvy. They're more aware, particularly here in the US. You know, if they're looking to develop a, a lasting and, and meaningful career, people are going to check that stuff. So that's an interesting take on on the rise of, of non-alcoholic beer. So back in the UK and Europe, you know, there's a very big market for non-alcoholic beer. It's been around for a lot longer. The the quality is better. The innovation is better. And here in the US, you know, there it's five to 15% of a larger beer market. And each market is non-alcoholic beer. Here it's less than half of 1%. Um, and wow. it's been much less than that. We, you know, Athletic has been 50% of the growth of the non craft beer market in those three years. Um, I think a lot of that, to kind of answer your original question, uh, comes down to taste. You know, you, you had decades and decades of the lar the most known non-elk beer, you know, not having a great taste and possibly having sort of a negative connotation. To why would you Why would you drink something <laughs> that tastes good? You know, what, what are you trying to have with that statement? Um, and so I think that um, Athletic came to the party with, um, you know, completely affirmative uh, mission statement. Like, I'm, I'm proud let's, to be drinking this exactly. because it tastes great. It, yeah, A, it tastes good. And let's face it, Athletic non-alcoholic beer is cool. There is nothing cool about non-alcoholic European beer from my humble perspective. <laughs> Anybody would like... Mm. No, why? Why would you sure. do that? Whereas sure. here, it, it feels like a really involved decision. You know, like it's like a statement. I'm making the decision to drink this because it tastes good, not necessarily because it's non-alcoholic. So I, I like that. I do like that about you guys. I was going to say, like us being solely a non-alcoholic brewery, we put everything we can into it. You know, we don't have any other avenues to go around. So we want to make sure everything that we produce 
here taste good. I mean, I, I want to drink it. The brewers who brew it, the, you know, again, we don't have any other option. It, everything we have to do has to be the best that we put out the door because we can't just pivot and go, let's go make some full strength beer. Let's go make an RTD and, yeah. and seltzers. Like it's kind of in our DNA to, to produce something that we want other people to enjoy. Yeah, and you're putting it front and center, which I really like. It feel, it's always felt to me that the non-alcoholic beers that I've seen particularly in Europe, a little added extra. It's like, oh, yeah, let, let's, let's just tack on this little non-alcoholic number for those who don't like drinking or if they have health issues or they're, they're in recovery or let's just, just tack it on there when actually their prime business is their beer. Um, I like that about you guys is that this is what we do. This is what we stand for. And not only that, we finally get on to all of your incredible good work. Uh, you are a certified B Corp, but I want you to tell me all about your two for the trails. Come on, tell me whose idea was it, first of all? That's the first thing. Come on, take some credit. That was Bill and John's you know, original idea was connecting with something really positive. And so the positivity of what we said before, like this badge of honor that I'm carrying in my hand and I'm drinking because it's so good. And look at the symbolism on the can and look at the original strategy for getting people to take what we call cans and hands, right? Cans and hands mean somebody's had it, tried it, and has converted to it because they love it, you know, because it tastes great. And so going to races, being at the end of Ironmans and things like that, and it was all about being outdoors. Bill himself, I think, did 150 races or something. The first summer, some crazy number where he would run and then he would hand out beer at the very beginning. Good boy. I mean, at the very end of the race. Um, <laughs> and, and that was just, you know, the thought of that completely changing whatever the brand that we talk about that was the last four or five decades of non-alk beer was, potentially your grandfather, you know, dusting off something that's below the ice on a bar before, you know, and I think that the, he was just bringing this totally new, like affirmative symbolism to the segment, but also associating that with the company. Absolutely. I love that. I do love that. So two for the trails is obviously something you've been working on. It's on all over your website as well. Tell me about the idea and what's the thinking behind it doing good. Well, it's now kind of really morphed into a grant program. Um, so originally early on, it was some of the team leaders would find a local trail or, or kind of an organization that we could then, you know, shuffle this money to, to to improve a, a local area, a park, or, or just hiking trails. But now we do have a B Corp manager, Kara Wilson, who's in charge of that. And it's really becoming something that people can apply for since we're gaining some more notoriety in, in the market. And it's more of a national reach. But yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head what we're actually donating last year and this year, what we're already up to, but it's hundreds of thousands of dollars already that are going to 20, 30, 40 different organizations across the country. From a, from a business standpoint also, Claire, it's, it's something where it's local marketing, right? If we're not even distributing in a state yet, right now we're up to about 48, but we just added 10 in the last six months. So prior to that, if somebody doesn't know us from the internet, they haven't seen us in their store, but then suddenly there's a trail that's in part of their hometown that was cleaned by money from this non-ug beer company they had never heard of. Like that's a great way to stake your name, you know, community, while obviously it's marketing, but it's also really doing good. Meet the Manufacturers podcast on behalf of Manufacture CT is created and produced by Red Rock Branding, redrockbranding.com. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe to and share this podcast today. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your facility, I guess. You know, we talked a little bit about the Milford facility and, and the division, if you like, of your setups, I guess. What does the average day look like 
on site? I guess this is perhaps a question more for you, Chris. I mean, how do you brew a can of beer from start to finish? How does it end up in that beautiful looking can and make me want to wear an athletic brewery t-shirt, by the way, which I'm admiring. So what does it take to get from there to there? Uh, well, that's a, a lot of question. <laughs> I can talk about this. I could talk about this for hours. Um, but you know, essentially, we take a raw material, which is grain, right? So we have many different types that we use, but we have you know a couple that we as use as a base malt. We take those grains and then convert the starches in there into a sugar, right? So essentially, we make sugar water in oatmeal. Essentially, that's why your oatmeal gets sweet after a while if it sits in like you know. X amount of temperature water. So we create sugar water. We then process it through many different vessels where we add bittering adjunct, which is, you know, hops. You know, you don't want to have sweet beer. You need some of that bitterness to kind of balance it out. So that goes into fermenters where we then do our, you know, some of our processes, which there's some deviations in there. That's how we get our unique product, which is the million dollar question. But it's anywhere between 10 to 15 days in a fermenter. Uh, and then as it goes throughout that, each day we check it, we taste it, we analyze it, we make sure it's it's up to our standards, it's compliant. And after it meets all those rigorous checks, it goes into a bright tank, uh, which is a big cylindrical holding vessel coming from the German word bright beer. So it's clear, clear carbonated beer at that point. And then we put it into a can. So we then transfer it over into our brand new Crohn's filler, 40 three valve or 44 valve fill head. I should know that one by now, but then we fill it at 400 cans a minute. So we send 400 cans, cans a minute, 400 cans a minute. Uh, wow. That's twice as fast as our San Diego location. So I want to come um, and see this. I have to see this. I've, I've been to a few breweries. I've got to be honest. I've got some friends who are quite passionate about beer. Um, I go for the cornhole and games usually at these breweries, but anyway, <laughs> I've always looked at the big tanks. I'd love to know really what happens here. So uh, I'm going to uh, try and blag myself a little tour, but do carry on. You're, you are more than welcome to swing by. I'll give you the, the dollar tour and we can go again. I can make this turn into an hour conversation. I'm, um, I'm genuinely interested. I'm genuinely interested. I'll take you up on that offline, but carry on with your canning. But yeah, so we're canning, you know, 400 cans a minute. We have a pasteurizer where it goes into afterwards because, again, we want to make sure we're producing a, a food-safe product and also retaining its freshness and, and quality. Now, being a non-alcoholic beer, we don't have, obviously, no alcohol, which is a preservative. So we have to treat our product a little differently, again, for consumer safety. That is rule number one. It's a safe product, and then, it's, then it tastes good. So the pasteurizer in itself helps us maintain that. So once it goes through the pasteurizer, it goes through numerous other machines from check weighers to fill level checks to labelers to label inspection units to to our fancy cartoner that we got which is being built currently here it's going to be then cartoned at you know the same same rate 400 cans a minute and then it's going to get stacked tray wrapped and then out the door so we have about two miles of conveyance so again i haven't specifically timed it yet because we're firing it up in a couple weeks but you know we're we're producing quite a bit of product out of this facility and it'll be about 10 hours a day we'll be able to produce Roughly 1,200 barrels of beer a day, 164 pallets of beer. Wow. Up by a day. So that's, that's 16,000 cases roughly a day. And then we'll stack it up in the corner and let uh, Jamie's team will then inventory, make sure everything is correct. And it goes out to our numerous distribution partners and or our uh, e-commerce platform. That is immense. That is a huge amount of non-alcoholic beer. I'm, I'm coming to see it. I'm coming to see it. I want to talk briefly, if I don't mind, about your incredible team of people and the culture that you've got there. You know, you stand for something, you're passionate about your product, you stand behind your product. What about your staff? You have just grown exponentially in a very short period of time. What do you look for in your new recruits? 
And is there a culture within the business, you know, that you're cultivating within? I think it's definitely innovation. It's a brand new category in the United States, essentially, right? Less than 1%. We're finding really innovative people that love that there's something in beer that they happen to love that they can stand behind. I definitely think, you know, growing from, I mentioned the 8 to 215, you know, you have a lot of people that are doing a lot of things, right? So the generalists, you know, you know, you could be doing finance to marketing to operations to brewing in the same day and being on all those different types of conversations. And so now we've definitely sort of gotten more specific with everybody's roles and responsibilities. And so there's some learning curves there, to be frank. Some people were great at everything, but not great at like what they got narrowed down into. And other people have turned out to be superstars in something that they completely thought was not like on their docket. Cross departmental movements and things, you know, from warehouse to brewing or to packaging and things like that, or from uh, marketing back to PR or something like that. And so we've got a lot of just moving parts with all that, growing that fast during COVID being away from each other, being remote, being, you know, when I came into this facility, you know, it's 100 and almost 80,000 square feet and for months, you know, I was the only person in the office aspect of it was, was like 18,000 square feet, more due to COVID than anything else. So we're trying to bring our teams back, <laughs> yeah. you know, and having people uh, spend time face to face and you know, casual beer conversations, you know, at the yeah. cooler type thing. <laughs> so I think people, you know, Culture for ours is innovation, integrity, you know, just being really communicative, especially, you know, customers always first for us. So every decision we kind of make starts with, well, what's the customer going to feel about this? You know, sometimes you need to do things like raising prices and things like that are, you know, the, the reality of the world. But we really do try to be cognizant of how this is going to, you know, affect our customers. So. I've interviewed a huge number of manufacturing companies across Connecticut, and one of the biggest problems facing them in terms of their growth has been recruitment, which is, you know, it's been a real difficult thing for them to grapple to get the right people with the right training and background in the right positions. You seem to have managed to accrue a vast number of people. I think it's the beer effect, isn't it? It's a cool company, let's face it. <laughs> Why do you think you've not perhaps suffered as much as others in that area? Is it because you're trying to create a really positive environment for people to work and, you know, give them perks? I don't know. I mean, how have you done it? I mean, I, I literally have interviewed tens and tens of companies who said, we cannot get enough skilled staff to work this machine or this machine or have this experience. Well, I will have to say we felt a little bit of sting of that. You know, I think from our marketing side or our financial side, a lot of that stuff has huge inroads with our values of who we are as a company. So you get a lot of that crossover and people who are who want to be in there. When you start getting into the manufacturing side of it with a lot of the technical components that are modern manufacturing, geez, you're right, there is a skill set gap, especially when it comes into like facilities and maintenance, where that's where we're kind of struggling with. We're trying to foster an internal growth channel for that, just because, you know, if you can take people who are familiar with these machines and, and foster them up into more lateral moves of, of mechanical maintenance and engineering. But, you know, I think where we struggled, we've also had to learn how to, to pivot and, and adapt. You know, from a technical standpoint, those can be taught. And we're, we're a relatively young company. I mean, we're four years old. You know, we don't have the generational lineage of people that have been with the company for 30 years. So we're trying to take people who are passionate, 
who want to be here, who are eager to learn and then teach them and give them the tools to try and succeed. And, you know, part of our goals and our values is we're, we're willing to make a mistake and willing to break something, trying to create something new. So that's at least from my team's aspect is like, I want someone to come in, have passion for what they're doing, and I'll give them every tool and every opportunity to learn until they're blue in the face. That's kind of where I'm pivoting because, you know, we're not getting those, you know, hundreds of applications of manufacturers coming from these large beverage plants that would be very valuable to our team, but we're trying to just find people that, that care. And that's all I can ask for. Yeah, and then coach them and school them into the athletic Absolutely. way. Absolutely. I'd add just quickly that I think a lot of companies, and depending on the size you were talking to, they kind of grow, 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 and then add HR. You know, I've got, you know, I've suddenly got 200 people and now I need HR type thing. It's, yeah. you know, we we'd sort of realized, you know, probably honestly a little bit late, but in time that HR was a really important component because people have to have standardized, you know, application processes and decision trees, you know, and things like that, that how someone gets hired and how, you know, transitions happen and things like that. We did realize that and that was a big part of, you know, being able to sort of grow the way we did with yes. some sort of, you know, not all chaotic. No. Um, sort of Absolutely. And put down those foundations for the future, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've always thought of ourselves as like a building into a, a global company sort of quickly. Yeah. That's also brought people to us. Yeah. Um, who may, you know, may look at something else, but it's also brought in an internal culture of just keep going, you know. Yeah. Whether we're building a plant, we'll, we'll order equipment three to four months before we even have a lease. <laughs> that would do, do some crazy things like that. But He's not joking. No, no, yeah. no joke. No. I kind of like that, though. I have to say, I, that for me is attractive, you know, and you only then have to look at your statistics that completely back it up. If you told me you were going to be a multinational company supplying half the world with non-alcoholic beer by next year, why would I not believe you in what you've just achieved during a global pandemic, you know? And I think that does speak volumes. Uh, it's exciting, guys. It truly is. What do you like to do in your spare time? Is there such a thing? <laughs> not not, not really so crying. much right now. But... Chris is just weeping in the corner at his new plant. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I recently moved here, so I'm trying to explore the, the neighborhood and, and enjoy the, the serenity of what my little town is so yes. i like to hang out in the backyard drink a cup of coffee and relax and when there is time to do so you know we're peak commission activities right here so this this can be go time for the next few months and yes. then travel back and forth keeping san diego going but i'm an outside kind of guy i like to ride bikes run when i can and just generally just sit in the quiet sometimes you've got a great state for that we've got some beautiful parks and, yeah. and some got the coast you know there's nothing like a new england summer there's just not what about yourself, Jamie? Mainly uh, travel. You know, the nice thing about COVID, <laughs> um, or at least the last you know, <laughs> few years has been, I traveled a lot in my old job because I could work remotely. And then this one gave that ability, even when we were building facilities, to sort of just everything was Zoom-related, Zoom-related, Zoom-related. So you could change your background and, and you could be in South America. You know, <laughs> um, you know. So the boss is sneaking off traveling in the middle of a, in the yeah, building a, a brand a new plant. Back, take a awesome. photo of your background like right here and that's your new virtual background, right? <laughs> <laughs>
Good work. Good work. I've tried that one before, but I usually I usually laugh too much to get away with it. So I've got to be honest. My boss has tried it a couple of times and um, always fails when uh, he messes up on the time difference. So I say, oh, I've got to go. It's getting on 3 a.m. here. Sorry. Well, what do you mean? Where are you? <laughs> oh, but guys, I really do wish you all the luck in the world. Jamie, I mean, this has been three or four years of chaos and absolutely shooting star success. What realistically are you looking for in the next four years? So we're kind of built this foundation that yeah. like nobody else has in not out there. Nobody, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at least, you know, in this country and, and I don't think anywhere really in the world in terms of like the facilities that we built and the capacity that exists for it. So there's so much low hanging fruit in the United States. We just started some international exporting and things like that, Australia, Canada, KEU. Um, and so I think that as we grow to 50 states, which we will be in the next couple months in terms of distribution, it's we have a hockey stick with the way that our sales go when we hit a new territory. Four to five months in, it quadruples, right? So I'm kind of like very excited to see just how, you know, how when we can start to sell to the Walmarts of the world that we've, you know, frankly put off for years because we never had the capacity. We've run at capacity since the day I started and pushed the teams on that capacity. Right now, the California team is probably like, please give me a day off, like, you know, <laughs> waiting. I mean, we're, we're literally going to get by the next two months by the skin of our teeth capacity wise. And so I think looking four years out, it's going to be nice to plan for much more efficiency than we plan now. Right. Today, today it's just make everything we can make you know, and push everybody <laughs> to the limit versus some of the things that we can do to make our whole operations financially, strategically much more efficient. So I do guarantee that in a, you know, six months, somebody from the team will start thinking about a new facility. And <laughs> I'll have to keep that in the back of the head of like, where is that going to be? Like what, you know, what part of the country or something? So I think Chris is going to slowly weep and just <laughs> break down in tears in the corner if you throw no, anything else no. in. Always ready for the challenge. Guys, it's been such a privilege and a pleasure. And offline, I genuinely am going to come and see your place. I would like to come and see it if that's all right. Please do. It's Absolutely. been such a privilege. Thank you for being a part of Meet the Manufacturers. You're doing something really quite special. And uh, I, for one, I am going to be championing athletic brewing t-shirts from now on and uh, <laughs> i want to thank you for your time and let's catch up again maybe next year Love and to. see how far we are <laughs> up that hockey stick i kind of like that yeah. analogy sounds a bit wrong on some level but i'm going with it <laughs> let's see how far up the hockey stick you are <laughs> sounds great so thanks for having us it was awesome it's an absolute yeah, pleasure you. thank you good luck guys thanks. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT, or you would like to join the organization, visit the website, manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, advisory, assurance, tax. Visit their website, coneresnick.com. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode and want to find out more about the vibrant and thriving manufacturing community in Connecticut, subscribe to and share this podcast today. Meet the Manufacturers is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Spotify. This podcast was created and produced by Red Rock Branding. RedRockBranding.com